If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 145. We're going to talk about those verses that Carthy just read and, and dig into them a little bit around this theme of proclaiming Christ. You know, we, we hear our mission is to glorify God by proclaiming Christ. And that's the part that we want to focus on this morning. Psalm 145, you may be interested to know, is the last psalm in the Psalter or the book of Psalms uh, that was written by David. Of course, when we think of Psalms, we think of David often. He wrote many, many of the Psalms, and this is the very last one that he wrote. Of the 150 Psalms uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, eight of those are what we call acrostic Psalms, and this is one of the acrostic Psalms. Now, you may, what is an acrostic Psalm, you may be thinking? It's a Psalm where each line, or in this case, you know, each verse in our delineation here, uh, is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you might think if you're going to write a poem in English, you know, you might write an acrostic poem and it, the first line starts with A and the second line starts with B and the third line starts with C. Same thing in Hebrew. Of course, the letters are different. So you have Aleph and then you have Beit and then you have Gimel and all, all on throughout the Hebrew alphabet. There are eight acrostic psalms. Five of those were written by David. Now, the significance, I believe, of this psalm is I think this psalm is beginning sort of the final flourish of the book of Psalms. You know, the whole doxology of the entire collection begins in 145 and continues to 150. And if you were to read through 145 through 150, you're going to hear the word praise all the time. You're going to hear the word glorify. You're going to hear the word lift up. I mean, it's this... I, I picture fireworks kind of happening, sort of like the grand finale of the whole book of Psalms are these six uh, chapters or six Psalms. In fact, the word praise, at least in the English translation here, it, it occurs 46 times in just six Psalms. Now, as I've thought about the first few verses of this psalm, and we're only going to have time to really exposit or, or dig into the first four verses, because I want to leave some time for us to talk about our mission and how we're going to be living out this call to praise God here at uh, Fellowship Franklin. But in these first four verses, I, I see that there is a what, a why, and a how of praising God. And so if you're one of those that likes to make notes in your Bible, which I think is a fantastic practice, by the way. Don't be afraid to write up your Bible. It actually makes it more valuable to you. Uh, you might, in the margin, next to verses 1 and 2, write the word what. W-H-A-T. And verses 1 and 2 are going to give us the what. Then next to verse 3, write the word why. Verse 3 is why we praise God in particular. Why. And then in verse 4 is the how. So we'll talk about the what the why and the how. And let's start in verses one and two talking about the what. I'll reread them. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. That word extol is a word we don't often use in the English language. Now, what, one of the things I love about the Psalms is they're written in Hebrew parallelism. So we think of poetry in terms of rhyming, you know, Dr. Seuss, you know, all the words rhyme. Uh, Hebrews didn't think of poetry that way. They wrote it in a different way. They wrote it in parallelism. So they'd write a line and then they'd write another line that would mirror or match it often. And there's different kinds of parallel, parallelism. But you'll notice the word extol 
is mirrored in the next line with bless. Then look down at verse 2, bless again. And then the fourth line, which is the second half of verse 2, the word is praise. So why don't we put those two verses back on the screen, if we could, so you can kind of see the parallelism here. I will extol, I will bless, I will bless, and I will praise. Now, you start to see, if you understand this concept of parallelism, that they're all essentially meaning the same thing. They bring a little bit of nuances in them, but essentially you can get an idea of what extol means if you think about it in terms of blessing God and you think about it in terms of praising God. And indeed, that's essentially what it means. It means to lift up him, to lift his name up, to make much of it. Uh, Here's a definition you might use. Extol or praise means to express admiration, gratitude, to celebrate with excitement, enthusiasm, appreciation, wonder, and awe. You know, what's true about human nature is we praise whatever we love. It's kind of a a, a law of life. Whatever you like, whatever you love, whatever you find beautiful, whatever you find wonderful, whatever inspires you, those are the things you talk about. Those are the things that you praise. And what I think is so important about the what in verses 1 and 2 is it represents not just the what of this psalm, it represents the what of our entire lives, our whole existence. This is the reason that we were created, is to praise, to extol, to bless God, to worship him. Uh, You might think of it this way. The reason that we were created is to glorify God. So we talk about glorifying God by, you know, that's the beginning of our mission statement. We're reflecting, hey, this is why we exist. This is why we are. It's also a description of how we will spend eternity. Did you notice in these first two verses, this phrase, I will praise your name forever and ever? I I think actually what's happening here is, you know, through the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David is not just stating what, what he intends to do. He's actually proclaiming what he will actually do forever and ever in eternity. And guess what? All of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're gonna be alongside King David doing this same thing. We're gonna be living out these words. I will You will, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will praise his name forever and ever. It is not only a description of how we'll spend eternity, it's also the key to joy and fulfillment now. I want you to notice David describes God as his king. Now, that's significant because who else was a king? David himself. So you have here the king saying to the king, capital K king, I praise you. Now you think about walking into the presence of a king or someone of royalty or a great figure. You know, you do several things. You bow, you give them homage, you know, you're going to defer to them, you're going to speak words of respect. Oftentimes in this culture, the expectation and tradition was that you give a gift. Now think about who the true king is that David is praising. God. What do you give to God? He owns it all. (laughs) David didn't have anything to give to God that God didn't already have, except one thing, his praise, his worship. You see, when you praise, when you worship God, you're giving to the king the one thing that he doesn't already have. (laughs) 
your willing worship. You're, you're bowing the knee and submitting to him. That's the gift that we're giving to the king as we're thinking about ourselves in his presence. You know, think about a, uh, a successful life or a well-lived life or a full, abundant life. It's what we all want. It's what everyone in the universe wants, whether they acknowledge God or not. Everybody wants a well-lived life, a successful life. And we define this all kinds of different ways. You know, the, the one person will say, well, the person with the most toys wins or the most power or the person that's left his mark and his name will be remembered from generation to generation. That's how our culture uh, defines success. But think about success in this way. Success is determined always by design and purpose. So for example, a successful joke is one that makes people laugh. A successful business is one that produces money for the entrepreneur, for the creator of the business. You see, we were designed, we were purposefully, intentionally designed for the purpose of praise, for the purpose of glorifying God. So a successful life is one that was spent praising, that was spent glorifying, worshiping, blessing our creator. Now that can look like all kinds of different ways. We actually praise naturally. I want to read to you one of my very favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. There's, of course, you know, there's dozens of great C.S. Lewis quotes. This is one of my favorites. He's talking about praise, in particular in the Psalms. But this is the observation that he makes about our natural inclination as human beings to praise things. The world rings with praise. Readers praising their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, by that he means cars, <laughs> horses, Colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. And then he concludes with this idea. I think this is especially helpful. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Isn't that helpful? Praise is inner health made audible. And so I think it's fair to say that fullness of life, human flourishing, is found in enjoying things, in praising things, most importantly, praising the right things. And that's where we're going to go next in verse 3. So we've talked about the what, which is praise, glorifying God. Now let's talk about the why. Why praise God above movies and books and food and hobbies? Why worship God above all those other things? Here's the why, verse 3. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. The word unsearchable carries the idea that God's greatness is inexhaustible. Like there's no end to it. So why should we praise God? Because there is no greater thing to praise. Like there's, there's no higher thing. Any other thing that you might praise or worship in your life or enjoy, at some point in time, you're going to reach the cap of that worship experience, so to speak. It wears off over time, except one the one whose glory is immeasurable, inexhaustible, unsearchable. It's 
the word that David chooses. Um, let me give you an illustration of this. As you mature, your taste buds tend to get a little more sophisticated. So I've got, you know, three young daughters, and it reminds me that when I was their age, and, and, and I'll just say it this way, when I was, say, six years old, I praised Lucky Charms cereal. It was the greatest thing for me. You know, I, breakfast, lunch, dinner didn't matter. You know, bedtime snack, Lucky Charms cereal. Now, when I was, say, 16, I praised pepperoni pizza, right? Now that I'm 40, I praise Tex-Mex and Indian food. Now, I don't know what comes next. But as the objects of my praise became a little more complex, a little more sophisticated, a little more flavorful with variety and nuances, so did my enjoyment of food, you see. This is the principle. David is saying God himself is the ultimate praiseworthy object. It doesn't get any higher or any better. And so there's no greater human fulfillment found than in praising him, the ultimate good. So some of us, you know, so, you know we, we read a, a psalm like this and we're like, it doesn't seem right that God is just commanding us to praise him all the time. Isn't that vain? Isn't that ego-driven? No. Listen, God is inviting us into greatest joy. Rob, you think Tex-Mex and Indian food is praiseworthy? <laughs> the greatness of my own glory is unsearchable. It never ends. Your enjoyment of it, your fulfillment in it will never cease. You see, he's calling us to something great. It's fullness of life. Now, how? How do we live into this vision? We're going to read a little bit of that in verse 4. Let's pick it up. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now we're going to pause there in our text because I want to hone in on this verse and how it relates to where we want to go as a church to live out this mission of glorifying God by proclaiming Christ. This is God's design for how mankind's greatest joy, mankind's greatest good, which of course is the worship of himself, is continued and passed on throughout time. This is God's plan right here. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall praise your name to the your works to another. One generation shall praise your works to another. Each generation is entrusted with this sacred task of proclaiming God's goodness, of proclaiming God's glory, of his works in their lives, of his salvation to the generation after them. Now, you think about this. This is exactly how we got from David worshiping this God using these words to the congregation, Fellowship Franklin, that we're in today, worshiping the same God using the same words. This is how God designed it to work. One generation proclaiming the greatness of God to the next generation. I like this quote from the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. We look back upon the experience of our fathers and sing of it. Even thus shall our sons learn praise from the Lord's works among ourselves. Let us see to it that we praise God before our children and never make them think that his service is an unhappy one. Notice in this psalm the specific things that we're called to pass on to the next generation. God's works 
and his mighty acts. Those are the two ideas that are expressed in verse four, his works and his mighty acts. Now in the minds of the original Hebrews, Hebrew audience, God's works and mighty acts always referred to his work of salvation, getting them out of Egypt, freeing them from slavery, and then providing for them in the wilderness, giving them manna. So it's provision and it's salvation. That's what's being referred to here. Same thing we look back on. Same thing that we need to declare and praise and pass on to the next generation. As Christians, we look back particularly to our provision and salvation through Christ. Right? We recognize all scripture points to Jesus Christ, is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in only him. That's why we are here gathered at a Christian church, worshiping Jesus, talking about Jesus. We glorify God by proclaiming who? Christ. Christ. This is our mission. This is why we do what we do. Now, who do we proclaim Christ to? Ultimately, the world. But as Psalm 145 reminds us, we must at least start by proclaiming Christ to the next generation. That's at least our starting point, right? This is where, at our church, our family strategy comes in. And this is where I want to step away for a minute from the biblical exposition, and I want to talk about its application, not just in your own personal lives, although that too, but for us as a corporate body, for us as a congregation. I want to talk about how we're dreaming about and how we're pursuing as a a leadership team and, and now inviting you into it, this exact command from Psalm 145 verse 4 that we would proclaim, that we would declare God's works and mighty acts to the next generation. That's where family strategy comes in. So this morning, I want to talk about glorifying God by proclaiming Christ and specifically proclaiming Christ to the next generation. Next week, we're going to talk about maturing in the faith and adult discipleship and growth. But this week, I want to focus on families because I believe one of the things that when we get to heaven and we experience the joy that will be full in the presence of God, one of the things that will increase our capacity to enjoy that whole experience is going to be what we did with our kids. How we declared, how we proclaimed, how we encouraged them in the faith. How we took on this task of discipling them in the knowledge of the Lord and in salvation through Jesus Christ. And I want to say this up front. It's not all on us. The Spirit has to move in their lives. In fact, there's nothing that can happen without the Spirit moving in their lives. But he has put these children, and we've got an awful lot of them in this congregation, he's put them in our care. He's put them in our stewardship for a purpose. You might even say, hearkening back to Esther, for such a time as this. So let's talk about our family strategy. And and as a bridge to get in there, I want to express our first prayer for the church, right? Which is the theme of these next three weeks, our series here. So here's how I would describe the first prayer for the church. Let's put that slide if we could. Here's our prayer for Fellowship Franklin. Prayer number one, that we would be a family of faith that proclaims Christ from generation to generation to the glory of God. That reflects Psalm 145.4, and it reflects our mission statement of to glorify God by proclaiming Christ. Now, what will that look like? Uh, some of you were here about a year ago when we, when we had a, a Vision Sunday, uh, and Eric Hoffman and I talked about three priorities that, that we believe and the elders believe as well that God is leading us in as a congregation. And one of the ones we introduced was a new family strategy. And we said, hey, we're just dreaming, brainstorming. We don't have really anything to, to show you yet, but pray alongside us. And 
And now a year later, we've got some things to, to share with you uh, and, and, and an individual in particular to introduce you to, which I'll get to in just a minute. But first, I want to overview our family strategy. So we have a slide for this as well. Um, I want to talk about there's three areas when we think about family strategy at Fellowship Franklin. Here's what we're thinking about. Number one, equip parents to disciple their children. Number two, become a family of faith. And number three, engage families in our community. Leave that slide up here for a couple of minutes and let me just unpack these three things. I'll say a few things about them. Equipping parents to disciple their children. Now, at first glance, that sounds like, well, yes, isn't that what the church does? Here's the thing, y'all. I believe, and I have a conviction of this, and, and our other leaders do as well, that the church at large, you know, not just fellowship, but just churches in general, have probably recently started to see their role a little bit differently than this and have allowed parents to see the church's role a little bit differently than this. Let me explain what I mean. Our culture today, our society at large, tends to have an outsourcing mentality, right? So we, you know, outsource our computer tech needs. We outsource our dry cleaning and laundry, you know. We outsource, you know, cooking and food. And I'm not saying any of that stuff's wrong. It's just where our society is going. We outsource. But we cannot outsource the spiritual development of our children, even to the church. It's not the church's role to disciple your children. It's the church's role to come alongside you as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and spiritual parents of these kids and equip you to do the work of discipleship. And if you understand that nuance, it's a little bit of a shift. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean we're gonna stop offering fantastic Sunday morning programming and experiences for the kids. And we're not going to stop offering fantastic Wednesday night programming for our students. In fact, we're going to talk about both of those in a minute. We're taking steps forward in those, not steps backward. But what we are going to do is we're going to add to that some equipping of parents that quite honestly, I think, I I believe, and our leadership would agree, we we haven't been doing enough of. So if we're going to say, You all as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and spiritual parents, you're the primary disciplers of these kids. We've got to equip you. We've got to show you how. We've got to come alongside you. So that's the first pillar of this strategy is to equip parents and and hear yourself in that. Even if you're not a literal parent, you're a spiritual parent. You're an aunt, you're an uncle, you're a godparent, you're a grandparent. Equip parents to disciple their children. Number two, we want to become a family of faith. In other words, it's not just about individual families spiritually developing their children. It's about a family of families or a group of families, a family of faith coming alongside this next generation together. Uh, Studies show that children, in order to keep their faith when they get college and beyond, uh, what really works is having a constellation of adults in their lives when they're growing up that come alongside them and point them to God. Not just one or two, not just their parents, not just their parents plus their youth leader, although that's a great start, but a whole group of individuals. This is what we're thinking of and dreaming of when we say becoming a family of faith. It's us coming together and say, we are going to pass along this faith to the next generation. It's going to take all of us to do it. And then number three, engage families in our community. Y'all, I love Franklin, Tennessee. And one of the reasons I love Franklin, Tennessee is it's an incredible place to raise a family. This is why people come here from all over the country, right? Largely, 
largely. I, I meet folks that moved here, and I ask them, what led you here? And they're like, well, it's a great family environment. There's all kinds of opportunities for kids, etc. I meet grandparents that move here because their grandkids are here. This is what drew most of us to this place. Not all, but most of us to this place. That's true of the whole area, the whole community. Now, this is what I'm envisioning. How might we reach our community for Christ? One of the ways is doing a great job with family ministries. So I envision a conversation in a backyard where a member of our congregation is talking to a neighbor next door who, who is not a believer, and they're talking about their kids, and they're sharing common struggles, and they're sharing a lot of the same things. And this person that maybe is a, a member of our body would say, you know what, I don't do it perfect by any means, but I'll tell you what's really helping me. My congregation is really helping me parent, and it's helping my kids. And this other person would say, man, I could use some help. Like, I believe this strategy will bring some people into our church and they'll hear the gospel and it will begin to transform the mom, the dad, and the kids. You see, we want to engage families in our community. So those are the three sort of ideas, the three pillars that we're chasing down. Now, we told you a year ago, we believe that we need a designated pastor to help us live out this strategy. And so we began a search literally a year ago. Uh, and, and man, I can't tell you how many resumes we looked at and, and phone calls we made, all kinds of things. And uh, interesting story of what led us to J.J. Jones, who I'm about to introduce you to in a couple of minutes. It got to be late January. And, you know, after five or six months of searching, we'd had a couple of false starts and really good candidates that just weren't going to be the right chemistry fit. Uh, I was in a, a meeting with our leadership team, which I serve at, which is members of, of the multiple congregations that form uh, fellowship. And I was giving them an update on this search. And I said, you know, we were really hoping to find this person in time for the school year that will start in the fall of 16. But honestly, I don't think we're going to get there. I think it's going to take longer. And then I literally said these words, unless God s drops someone into our laps the right one into our laps. We're, we're, I don't think we're going to have this person. Okay. Literally the same day. Like, I, I, I kid not. I get JJ's resume in my email. It came to us through Greg Joyner, who is our student ministry, our fellowship um, students pastor at the Brentwood campus. Greg knew JJ because they'd been in a doctoral program together, which you'll hear a little bit more about in a minute. And Greg heard we were looking for this search and he emailed me and it happened to be the same day. Now, listen, y'all, I don't try to over-spiritualize things. I'm not one of those that like, you know, God told me to wear red socks today, so I'm wearing red socks. But looking back on his providence, this is God's provision for us. And, you know, I didn't, you know, sign the dotted line that day. We did an extensive vetting process with JJ as we got to know him. So let me tell you a little bit about JJ and then I'll bring him up so you can meet him for uh, a few minutes. Uh, JJ has extensive family ministry experience. He spent the better part of 30 years. I don't, don't want to date him uh, too much, but he spent almost 30 years, particularly in student ministry. His most recent role was he was pastor to families at Cypress Bible Church in Houston, Texas. He'd been their student ministry for many, 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 her student ministry pastor, I should say, for many, many years. He has a heart for families. 
He has two grown children himself. He's got a high schooler and a college-age student. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you about them in a little bit. Um, but along JJ's journey, he really felt called to sort of live into family ministry more and more. So he'd been a student pastor for ver- almost three decades, felt called to live into this idea, the very ideas that we were talking about. So he pursued a, a, a degree, a doctoral degree in youth, family, and culture. And uh, what he wrote on his resume of what he was dreaming about in terms of living out his calling to be a pastor of families mirrored almost exactly what Eric and I had written in this vision focus position sheet that we had created for the first person that we would hire. Uh, So a lot of excitement around that. So I just want to ask J.J. Jones to come on up wherever you are, wherever you are. J.J., come on up. There he is. Come right on up here, J.J. I want you to meet J.J. Yeah, you know... We're excited for you to be here. JJ literally started this past Monday. Uh, so they're, they're fresh off the boat or the train or the truck, whatever it is you whatever came Whatever comes in, from Texas. From right? Houston, yeah. Texas. So uh, JJ, first of all, tell us a little bit about your family. I think we've got a photo of your family we'll put on the screen. Yeah, there it is. There you go. Um, well, uh, Anna and I have been, they're going to be here in the second service. Anna and I have been married for uh, a little over 26 years now. And... Uh, our oldest, Kelsey, you see there, is a senior now at Baylor. She leaves this coming week to go back for her senior year to do all of her student teaching and, and begin the process of applying and working towards a master's in elementary education. Uh, ben is the tallest of all of us. I, I guess it really does skip a generation because uh, we're pretty diminutive, but, uh, but he, is, uh, he is excited. He's probably the most excited to be here. We're all excited, but... Uh, he is uh, a part of Franklin High School band now in the drum line. And yeah, there's some, I don't know, in Texas, the Aggies whoop. I don't know what Frank, yeah. But, um, but he's excited and already been through band camp and is excited about all the stuff coming up with that. He's a drummer and excited to be here as well. And uh, so we were in Cyprus for 13 years. And, you know, dude, I don't know what else to say. You've kind of like laid everything out and explained it perfectly. So well, I, I, will, I do have this question for <laughs> Tell us what energized you about this role and what you're excited about to see Luke out here. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Rob was right, and I did not know the story that was like the same day. That's pretty that cool. No, man, I would have like cried like a, you know, big baby watching puppies or something. Uh, so puppies always do it for me. So, um, so it does, yeah, it mirrors exactly almost. When I got the position, uh, the position profile sheet from Greg, he said, hey, I really think this is like a good fit. I mean, I mean, we were in the car, and uh, I got in to pull it up on email. I told Anna, I said, this is exactly the direction that God has been leading us. Um, so what, what energizes us? Puppies. Puppies. Uh, I know, yeah. I, I need to think like elephants or Tennessee football to get like, are you ready? I'm getting excited for that. Uh, so, so man, what, what really energized us was, it was, I mean, just like you said, almost verbatim word for word of what we're really envisioning. And, and I tell you what really, what really excites me is to be in a church that really wants to equip families. Um, we really believe that families are, or that parents are the primary discipleship, uh, influence in their kid's life. Um, we know that we only get a, anywhere from 40 to 50 hours a, week, or a year with your kids in the church. You have over 3,000 hours of influence. Can you imagine two influences working together in concert 
to impact the next generation has much, much greater value than two separate influences, even if they're going the same direction, working independently. And that's what we want for our families. That's what we want. That's what I want wherever God was going to lead us, to have that kind of leverage and influence. And, and the church as family language. I mean, this was one thing that really resonated with me as I began my research, that the church was really designed, Christ, one, one design that Christ had for his church was for us to operate as spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual aunts and uncles, that we were designed to be a family together. I love this, the church as a family. We're a, we're a family that's made up of families of all shapes, sizes, and needs, and we need one another so that every kid doesn't just belong to the parents are the youth staff, are the kids staff. They belong to every single one of us. I know this is the influence in my, my, kids, my own kids' life as, as they have grown and the, the people that have impacted them, uh, the spiritual aunts and uncles, the spiritual grandparents, mentors, godparents, others that have poured into them in their lives and the churches that we have been at. It's been huge. We can't do it alone. We weren't meant to do it alone. We weren't, we weren't made to be independent. We were made to be interdependent on one another as a body of Christ. And, and so, so that really excites me. So what, what I really dream about, Rob, and, and we've talked about this for many, many months, uh, we really, what we dream about is, is a Fellowship Franklin that has this intentional, strategic partnership with parents and the rest of the church to dynamically influence the faith trajectory of our kids. Not just so that they graduate out at age 18 and, and they're a good little Christian boy or girl, but so 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, 40 years down the road, they are influencing their own family and leading their, their church family wherever they're at to influence the next, gener next generations for Christ. That's a legacy that we want Fellowship Franklin to have. That's really the legacy I want the body of Christ to have. And that's what jazzes us more than anything. That's what gets me going more than anything, to be able to really to live into that, uh, you know, through our kids' ministry, through our student ministry, through, uh, through developing what this strategic partnership is going to look like. And, and that's that one generation declares to the next. Absolutely. Li lived out. Absolutely. Uh, but before, before J.J. steps down, I want to talk for a minute about student ministry because one of the primary roles J.J. is going to have, at least initially here, is he's going to lead and oversee our student ministry. This is an area where, as we look at where we're at as a church, we say, man, we, we need to resource that ministry really well to get that where we hope it will be. And so one of the reasons that I was excited about J.J. when I saw his resume was all his experience in student ministry. He, he was leading a phenomenal student ministry at this large Bible church in Houston, Texas. So that's one of the things we're excited about you helping us lead. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about where we're at in student ministry sure. and where we're going over this next year. Just sure, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this next year um, to, uh, to really lead a, an incredible team to pour into our student ministry. Uh, we've just made a hire, uh, Lakin Stearns. I think her, her and Austin's picture are going to be up there. Lakin is going to be, for this year, she's going to be our student ministry resident. She has extensive experience with Pine Cove, with uh, Young Life, and is uh, already has been a tremendous help this week. Uh, we're both kind of getting our feet wet and learning new systems 
and learning uh, people and new things, but, uh, but we're excited. We've already met with our student ministry team and our leaders, and they're excited for the year. And an incredible group, incredible group of leaders, parents that you have that are ready to pour into your students. But more than that, we, we really want to be intentional about pouring into you as parents. That this one thing that we're, that's going to be kind of fresh and new that we really want to reiterate. In fact, so much to the fact that August 10th is in your program, we're going to have an FSM parent night, a kickoff, where uh, you get to experience kind of what your kids experience when they come to FSM. And we want, to, we want you guys just to hear from us of what our dreams and our hopes are and really just to connect with you and so we can hear from you as well. And we really would love for you to help us start fresh and new and, and, and kick that off. We, I want to invite you personally to be there with us. We'll be casting some vision and, and just getting to know you and beginning that relationship. And, and students, we're even, we're even going to kind of start things off fresh and new with you guys on the 17th when we meet. Three weeks of, uh, of working with you to develop, hey, what does it really mean for us to be fellowship student ministries? Not just distinctively fellowship student ministries, but uniquely fellowship Franklin student ministries. And what does that mean for us in developing that? And, and, and we want to, I'm excited. We have an incredible team that's ready to pour into our students, ready to pour into parents and, and begin this partnership that we're talking about. It's, can you imagine the legacy we're going to have 18 years now? We got your kids for 18 years. That's all. You have them for a little bit longer, but, you know, about that long, too. And can you imagine the partnership together and the influence, not just in our, our church with our, our generations that are coming up, but in this community and the light for Christ that will be and the attractiveness of, of a family and a place to belong. That's, Amen. that's what we're envisioning. Tell this guy's a little bit excited. That's good news. That's a good thing. Uh, I want to say this one more thing about Lake, and you'll get a chance to meet her. In fact, she's here out in the lobby helping Paige uh, Page Stroop. What I love about this team is JJ and, and the other men who are volunteer leaders in that ministry are going to be intentional on uh, mentoring and discipling these guys. And now we have Lakin and the other wonderful female volunteers in our ministry that are going to be thinking about vol- uh, mentoring and, and investing in our ladies. And then JJ is going to oversee and really kind of give some strong leadership to the ministry as a whole right now. Absolutely, so man. Great. They're pumped. They're pumped. And already with the incredible Fellowship Kids ministry we have, we're, we're ready to rock and roll. Great. We sure appreciate you, brother. Glad Go ahead, you're man. here. All right. Thank you. So here's what I want to do next to start kind of closing off the service. We, we've talked about our overall family strategy, and you can go ahead and, and, and take that off, thanks. We talked about what student ministry is going to look like. You had to meet JJ, kind of hear his heart and passion. I want to talk about Fellowship Kids next, and I, and I want to land on this. I want to end on this uh, for a couple of reasons. And first, know that JJ is going to be more hands-on with student ministry, particularly uh, here in the stage that we're at, but he's also overseeing all of our family ministries. So, you know, I kind of joke refer to it from diapers to diploma. JJ's going to be our leader, going to be our key guy. But Fellowship Kids, as y'all know, is one of the hallmarks, is one of the trademarks of fellowship. Just excellent, outstanding children's ministry. And that is reflected here so well already through Connie and her leadership. And I just want to overview where we're going with this. We're making a couple of of, uh, changes or tweaks in some of the curriculum. We're leaving some the same. We're changing uh, some. But but I want to cast a little vision for you because I'm so excited about this. You know, Picture your, your newborn child, and I know there's a lot of newborns out there. They're taken care of from the nursery age to about two in, in an environment that is just all about love. And it's just all about, you know, it just 
showing them, demonstrating tangibly, even if they can't understand language yet, an environment of care and an environment of love. When they hit two years old through pre-K, they're in a program we call First Look. And First Look is focused on communicating to these young ones that are just learning about the world three core truths. And it's as simple as this. God made you, God loves you, and Jesus wants to be your friend forever. And those are the three things that your two-year-old through about four-year-old learns. Then in kindergarten, they go into a class of kindergarten that uses one of my favorite curriculums called Gospel Project for Kids. What I love about it is it walks through the Bible book by book and shows how every book of the Bible points to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points forward to him. The New Testament points back to him and so the church lives that out. Gospel Project for Kids. Then we've changed up our elementary room, which meets in that back corner room, that large multi-purpose room. It's now going to be first grade through fourth grade. It used to be second through fifth. Now it's first through fourth. And in those age ranges, we've adopted a uh, curriculum called True Story that is the best curriculum out there at providing resources for parents to engage with their kids throughout the week. So you'll be hearing more about that. Like Gospel Project for Kids, it's a God-focused, Christ-centered curriculum that walks through the Bible chronologically, kind of picks up where the um, Gospel Project in kindergarten kind of leaves off and keeps going. And so you'll hear more about True Story, and I think you'll love it, especially the resources that are available for families throughout the week. Then fifth and sixth, we've had a separate sixth, sixth grade program. We've decided to combine those together to kind of have a new ministry for, what do you call that group? tweeners or tweens, well, you know, whatever that is. I've got a daughter in that ministry now. It's scary, right? Adolescence is here. And so we want to help prepare them for student ministry. So they, they've got uh, an outstanding program coming to them that's going to develop them to sort of enter into the student ministry care, which begins in seventh grade. Now, to do all of this, you've been hearing about this for the last few weeks. We need your help. We literally can't do this without you. Uh, some of you have been wondering, man, this church seems to, to ask a lot of us in children's ministry. Like, like we hear about that a good bit, at least this time of year. We don't talk about it throughout the year, but in the summertime, uh, we talk about it. And, you know, we have this insert again this week, and I'll refer to this in just a minute, about where we still need help. But I thought it may be helpful for you all as you think about children's ministry, Fellowship Kids, in the context of the whole family strategy to take a look at some data that we've uncovered. We, we asked the question, hey, how does our congregation compare to other congregations as it relates to percent of children that make up the congregation? So let me, let me show you this diagram on the screen. Let's go ahead and put this up here. Now I'll spend a minute explaining exactly what this is. If you take the number of kids, which is in, in the way that most people measure that, it's birth through fifth grade, and you divide that by the average weekend attendance, including the kids, you get your percentage of kids that make up a congregation. Now, the average church in America is about 21%. So you can see that little diagram. That means for every five individuals in a congregation, typically one of five is going to be uh, between birth and fifth grade. Now, you know what our percentage is? Look at the very top, 32%. 
That's our percentage. That, may, that puts us square in the top 10% of churches in America. Now, I don't know what's in the water in Franklin, Tennessee here, or at Fellowship, but we've got a lot of kids. Now, praise God we have a lot of kids. But I actually think he's inviting us as we glorify God by proclaiming Christ to take this seriously and say, if, if I want to be part of fellowship, then I'm going to step into that. So what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to come to one service to worship and come to another service to serve. Now, serving at fellowship on Sunday mornings doesn't just mean fellowship kids, but it is far and away our largest need. I think we need about 120 regular volunteers to make this work. So you can see top 10% percentage of kids. For every uh, uh, three people in our congregation, one of them is between the ages of birth and fifth grade. That's significant. What an opportunity. So take out this, this uh, program insert, and you can see on here, we, we highlighted in yellow where we need the most help. And it's in that nursery and toddlers and two-year-olds through pre-K area. Now, the smiley faces on here represent where y'all have stepped up to serve. And I want to say thank you. Thank you. For those of you that have signed up, for those of you that are already serving and renewed again, it just means the world. We appreciate that. If you are able to serve with us, please just fill this out. We'll contact you. It's not a formal commitment, but it's you're expressing interest in this. Um, I know we tend to be a wait till the last minute kind of congregation. I've noticed that where we sign up for events. That's my personality too. This is it. If you're waiting this is the Sunday. So we need about 40 more people from each congregation. That means about 20 of you here and 20 of you in the second service. So please serve us here if you're able to be a part of this broad family strategy. Here's how we're going to wrap up the service this morning. It'd be no more appropriate way than by glorifying God, by praising, by proclaiming Christ. And so we're going to do that through song. We're going to sing this song, In Christ Alone, which is one of my favorites. It's a modern hymn. I mean, y'all know it. Sing it out. Sing it loud. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He's the reason that we're here. I invite the band to go ahead and come on up. And I'm going to invite you to stand. And as you stand, let me pray for us. And then we'll sing together and close the service. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to live out this mission that you've put on the hearts of the leadership of fellowship to glorify God by proclaiming Christ. And we also want to own and acknowledge, Father, that the context that you've put us in to proclaim Christ is family-rich. It's a family-centric community. It's a family-centric environment. And I believe there's no accident that you've put this church here for this time. So I pray for us as a congregation, myself as one of the pastors, the other pastors and staff, the elders, the members of this congregation, the, the leaders uh, that are all around us, God, these men and women even in this room, I pray that you would help us to live into this, live into this calling to be a family of faith, passing the praise of Christ to the next generation, to the glory of God. It is in your name. Father, in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.